In Mark 2.17, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Today, we see how many superpowers Jesus really has. Maybe he really is Superman. This is day three. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. You know, Tyler, I was actually thinking about (laughs) that metaphor like more this morning. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought it up. Because he's your favorite character in a movie? No, just like Jesus, Superman, (laughs) Jesus is Superman. Jesus is a Superman. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what connection I made, though. (laughs) Well, (laughs) oh, oh, okay. So we were talking yesterday. He can fly. He flies at the end. (laughs) Spoilers. He doesn't ascend in the book of Mark. We talk about the messianic secret. His identity. Yeah, his identity. He like a secret. Well, he tells people to keep it kind of under wraps, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, okay. Yeah. (gasps) That I do remember. Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Uh Oh. I see it. I don't know. I didn't really watch the old Superman movies a lot. I know I've seen them. Mm-hmm. When I say I like Superman, I like Smallville. That was my... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Because it was in Iowa. And you're laughing. Because <laughs> it was set in Iowa. No, That's why. it was not set in on Iowa. Come on. Oh, where was it Smallville, set in? Kansas. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I, I think Filmed right in Vancouver, <laughs> right in your kind of area. Wait, what? Well, yeah, it was filmed Vancouver. in Vancouver. I haven't been everywhere in Kansas, but I've driven through a lot of Kansas, have a lot of friends from Kansas, and mm-hmm. there is nowhere in Kansas that, that looks, looks like that some of these beautiful. <laughs> and I, anyway, just for the record, I am not from Canada. Well, yeah, <laughs> Pacific Northwest. It's up in that region. Yep. All right. For sure. Anyway. Well, here's my question. You can answer it either way. Have you ever been part of a conversation that you didn't realize a lot of people could hear? Like a private conversation? Or have you heard a conversation that you knew was supposed to be private, but mm. was somehow being overheard by a lot of people? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. Context. I'm talking to a volunteer after service. Like mm-hmm. they had directed our service. I'm like, you did a great job. And just kind of talking to him about it, showing him the things that were good, things we can work on. And I look at my phone. I've got like 40 text messages from hmm. different people. And I realized the radio I'm on had a broken headset and the mic had been held down the whole time. (laughs) And luckily when I was talking to this guy, I wasn't saying anything like weird, but the entire security team could hear my whole conversation (laughs) with this volunteer. Your headset is connected to the security? Different headset, security headset I had on. So they heard your whole thing. Yeah. If they wanted to. Yeah, which is fine. But I'm like, man, in a different situation, that would have been Mm. pretty awkward. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. So that reminds me of when I was probably in like middle school and I had a house phone and I'm pretty sure that there were times where my brother would hold down like the phone. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little mute thing and then you could listen on another phone in the house. And he's listening to what? Like me talk to my friends or whatever. About boys. Probably, you know. What a nosy person. But isn't it funny that like we had like multiple phones in our house? I don't know. Maybe you did not. Landlines. But yes. But it was all one line. So you literally could like pick up the phone and be like, oh. Get off the phone. Get off the phone. I need to call somebody. Or you could be like, mom's ordering pizza. Oh, I'm going to listen. Mom's ordering. (laughs) What kind of pizza is she getting? Breathing, I hear. Yeah. (laughs) You are a very heavy breather, Brendan. (laughs) I've said this. What about you, Brendan? I don't know, guys. I mean, so I do talk to myself. A lot of people have said. That is 
true. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you're working on something and you're like, now that seems odd. And I'm like, actually, that's really true. Because you've got, to? <laughs> you don't have music headphones on. You've just got noise canceling headphones on. So you can get real silence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can have my internal conversation. Yeah. But in reality, has. you're having external conversations <laughs> that all of us can hear. This is an intervention, Brendan. If you're talking to yourself that loudly, there's a problem. Sometimes he doesn't even have headphones on. No, yeah. He just it's talks. just kind of like. You just shut everybody out and you just kind of do your thing. There's a lot of silence. My head is down in a book (laughs) and then out of the depths. You just start saying something. (laughs) Something prophetic. No, no, just like a question. I don't understand what the heck's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, unlike Brendan, Jesus has hyper hearing and hyper awareness of all the conversations going on. It may be one of his superpowers that we find out today. Clark Kent. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he he, he can hear pretty much everybody's thoughts. But to get into more of that, Brendan, why don't you take us through our commentary for today? Day three, a controversial call to sinners. As news of Jesus's power spread throughout the Galilean countryside, he began to capture the attention of not just the crowds, but also religious authorities, and not in a good way. Religious leaders began to see Jesus as a threat because his actions repeatedly conflicted with their teachings. In today's reading, we encounter five separate stories that highlight this increasing hostility toward Jesus. One of these stories features Jesus calling someone to follow him. As we read yesterday, he had previously invited four fishers to become his disciples. In today's reading, the occupation of the man Jesus now invites to follow him draws the anger of religious authorities. The man is a tax collector. We can't overestimate how scandalous this would have seemed to Jesus' contemporaries. In first century Jewish society, tax collectors were thought to be the worst sinners. They had a well-documented history of fraud, many regarded them as traitors for serving the Romans, Some rabbinic literature even said that tax collectors defiled houses just by entering them. You can imagine how much it would have upset religious leaders when they saw Jesus not only summoning this tax collector, but also having dinner at his house. Here was Jesus, a celebrated expositor of the law, eating at a place that they considered impure. When they confront Jesus, he leaves them speechless by saying, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 2.17 Jesus' teaching is one we need to hear today. Like the ancient religious leaders, we can be quick to dismiss people we don't understand and reject people who don't conform to our rules. But like Jesus, we should prioritize love for people over concern for rules, especially human-made rules. After all, Jesus didn't call people who thought that rules would make them righteous. Jesus called people who admitted they were sick and needed a doctor. For day three, we're reading Mark chapter two, verse one through chapter three, verse six. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, 
We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as the disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Melissa, do you want to read through our discussion questions for day three? First question. In today's reading, Jesus is accused twice of violating the Sabbath. In reality, he only violates human-made regulations that have nothing to do with God's original intent for the Sabbath, as Jesus himself points out. Can you think of any ways we've made following Jesus unnecessarily difficult by adding to God's laws today? Second question. In Mark 2, 13 through 17, Jesus teaches us the importance of befriending irreligious people. But elsewhere in scripture, we are encouraged to keep good company and avoid sinners. How do we balance these seemingly disparate teachings? What would it look like for you to eat with sinners and tax collectors? And how could you do this without compromising your convictions? It's crazy that just like we're on day three and the Pharisees are already like, well, we got to kill this guy. I know. Like the plot is already happening. It's immediate. Yeah. And also they have a lot of things they don't like about what he's doing. 
That's true. Mm-hmm. A lot of people they don't like too. A lot of people they don't like. A lot of Jesus they don't They're like. They're just angry people. Yeah, it does seem like that. It's or, like they just want to point the finger. Or they just love rules. Mm. Which, you know, I, I know have feelings about like rule that. followers. <laughs> you do. <laughs> What's the relationship really between like the Pharisees, tax collectors, Jewish people, Rome? There's a lot just happening. A lot of players in the field. A lot of context mm-hmm. that needs to happen because I don't even know why the Pharisees don't like tax collectors. Like mm. what if they were Jewish? What Does if they were, mean they don't like them? Th- he like, was Jewish. So <laughs> At least this guy. <laughs> exactly. So why do they like don't like their fellow man just because he's a tax collector? Like what's the context here in this day and age? So I guess... I'm going to speak in very general terms. Sure. I want to acknowledge at the top that Jewish culture, it's not monolithic in the first century. The truth is like Christianity, like you have all sorts of different beliefs, groups, practices, Mm -hmm. and Jewish people in the first century are no different. So at this time, a general belief for Jewish people is that they were still in a period of exile. Mm -hmm. They were living in their land, even though they had been returned from exile in Babylon several centuries earlier, the whole last few centuries leading up to the time of Jesus, they were still subservient to other political powers. And that's where Rome comes yeah, in. There's a of. brief window where they weren't, where you have the Maccabean revolt and some Jewish Which came, we all remember. Which we all remember. Yeah, good mm-hmm. old days. But the Maccabees. Yeah. <laughs> Beginning in about, was it 63 BC, something like that. Rome moves in. They become the political power in the area. And the feeling is that they're in exile. Even though they're in their land, they are still subservient to another foreign power. And this is not how God would want it to be. Mm-hmm. So you have a variety of different groups who have different positions on how this all might change. The Pharisees, their take was that if we abide by God's law, we live the way God asked us to live, then you know the kingdom's going to be restored, a Messiah will rise up, and it's all going to be good. So one thing we see characterized with them is all these different rules and regulations. They call it the tradition of the elders. They talk about this later on in the book of Mark. And they try to enforce these because, look, we all got to live by this law. And if we follow all these other regulations that sort of fence in, that's their language, mm-hmm. fence in the Torah, then we'll make sure we don't break the law. Mm. So there are people who are concerned with following the law. The Romans, again, they're the political power, greatest superpower in the world at this time. They're taxing the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. They have power. They're the power players in this situation. You also have tax collectors. So the Romans would oftentimes use people from different lands to mm-hmm. be their, you might say, chess pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So Herod Antipas, he's the local client ruler, you might say, in this area in Galilee, kind of like governor. His technical term is tetrarch. Mark actually calls him a king for some really interesting reasons we'll mm. talk about later okay. in a different podcast. And then you also have like tax collectors who mm-hmm. would collect, especially the census tax. That's the big one the Romans exacted. Levi, who we read about here, most people think he's a toll collector. And mm-hmm. so this money isn't necessarily going straight to the Romans, but it's kind of going to the local cities, which you have political rulers again, who are all servants of the Romans. And so mm-hmm. it still has this sort of trickle up effect. And so you have tax collectors and they're regarded as traitors because these are people who, again, they're taking money from Jews and handing it to the people that are, you might say, are almost enslaving. If you read this Jewish historian named Josephus, mm-hmm. he talks about a rebel leader named Judas the Galilean same area, who leads a revolt. And he says that paying taxes to Rome, it's like being slaves again. Mm -hmm. And so he says, we shouldn't do this. We can't do this. Which the Jewish people have some baggage around. They have a lot of baggage around. He's kind of like Robin Hood. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) But he gets a lot of Jews killed because they listen to him, they revolt, and Rome puts it down. So tax collectors, mm-hmm. who's the other player in this situation? Well, then enter Jesus. Enter Jesus, okay. <laughs> the character. The. From stage right, he comes <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And he just invites one of them to hang out with him and 
Yeah, I that's mean, totally cool. It's really interesting. I just noticed this when you were reading mm-hmm. that he actually does it the same place too. They're in Capernaum. They're by the lake. Mm-hmm. So that's an really interesting note. He says, come follow me. He's already called to people you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this the other day. It actually reminds me a lot of ancient Israel. When God called ancient Israel, he didn't call the superpowers. He didn't call the yeah. Egyptians. He didn't call the Babylonians. He right. called little nation of nobodies to be his people through which he would make his name known. Jesus is doing the same thing. He's calling nobodies, fishermen. And not only that, now he's calling someone who everybody would perceive as a traitor, who Jewish tradition would say made houses unclean. He's eating at his house. He's doing all sorts of things that the Pharisees wouldn't consider appropriate. Well, and that continues. He goes and eats in a house of a tax collector. He's hanging out with sinners. And that's when we have this paralyzed man being lowered in by by his friends. This other Mm -hmm. story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is indicative of all of Mark. We're going to have so much stuff. We're going to try to hit some of everything. But I did see there is this moment where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And then he heals the guy and he goes and walks. A lot of people read this and they're like, well, he was paralyzed because of the sin in his life. Mm. Mm. And that's something that, you know, if we sin, then we're going to have physical discomfort or Mm. we're going to face troubles and trials. Is that how we should read this? No, <laughs> no. I mean, Why not? I could really quickly just point to something Jesus does in a different gospel. I think it's John 9. He has a conversation with his disciples about this man who's born blind. And basically the point of the story is that the person isn't blind because of any sin in mm-hmm. their life. This is just the rain falls on whomever, right? This is what the book of Job is about too. It's about how we respond and, right. and how God might redeem and use certain situations. The Proverbs, they talk about how, yeah, I mean, good things tend to happen to good people. Bad things tend to happen to bad people. Mm -hmm. but the reverse isn't true. Mm -hmm. Just because you're bad or just because you're good doesn't mean you're inherently good or bad. But did the Pharisees believe that? I don't know. (laughs) The Pharisees believed a lot of interesting things. Yeah, I mean, I I thought, is it like traditionally known or thought of that because you have an ailment, because you are unclean, because of these things, it's your sin that caused Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that too much. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say... For sure that all of them believe that, but I do think they probably would have looked at that. What they do believe is that Jesus yeah. has no place to be forgiving sins on yeah. earth, which is really the takeaway of the story is yeah. right. this moment where Jesus is like, oh, everybody wants me to heal this guy so he can get up and walk away. Again, I'm going to do the opposite thing. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm going to forgive your sins. And they're all like, uh. What? Yeah, why is Jesus even doing that in the first place, right? Right. So I just read this today. Some people actually suspect this was Jesus's home in Capernaum. Capernaum was where he made his base of operations. Mm -hmm. He'd always come back here. In chapter two, verses one and following, he says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Oh, interesting. Oh. So he's in a home. And home is a place where he does a lot of different teaching, Mm -hmm. but it could be his home. And so actually this might be a reason why you forgive. I mean, imagine a guy breaks his roof. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I forgive you. The (laughs) ends justify the means. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure if this is Jesus' home, but that gives one reason why he might forgive him for sins. But the truth is Jesus is already sort of showing who he is, who has power to authority to forgive sins, but God alone. So he's showing he's more than just a normal guy. He's also doing things that only people in the temple really had authority to do to say that your sins are forgiven. And so not only is he acting in the place of God, he's also acting in the place of the religious authorities in Jerusalem. Well, and it's interesting because we start sort of a bunch of stories where the Pharisees are the ones that are confused. Mm-hmm. Almost yeah. in every one of these, mm-hmm. they're questioning like, wait, yeah. how's he allowed to do this? Yeah. And this is like the first one for today is they're like, how can you forgive sins? Yeah. And Jesus knows 
Yeah. He knows immediately. It's a superhuman hearing or yeah. whatever that he yeah. knows what's going on in their hearts and he's able to kind of call them out and rebuke yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And then we go on to the next story where he's eating with the tax collector, yep. Levi, yep. calls Levi. Then we go to the next story. Jesus is questioned about fasting because everybody else is fasting. Yep. But his people are not. And he says a couple metaphors that are very interesting. One, there's about a bridegroom. Yeah. There's one about wine. There's mm-hmm. one that he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse, which I have lots of experience with. Yeah. Everybody knows that, Tyler. Work right. with a lot of wine skins. <laughs> yeah. Patching it's, clothes. It's almost, like, cloth. it's almost like the Pharisees were not getting it. And he's like, right. let me give you another example. Yeah. Another confusing example. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, wait, what? Every single time they're confusing. That's why I like Jesus. He's just like he just messing make, with their makes you mm-hmm. think. Yeah. For and he sure. always asks oh. questions. Yeah. He doesn't just give them the answers. Mm. He's always like, what do you think about this? No. Yeah. <laughs> the Socratic method. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm confused. Is that like a metaphor that they would fully understand? Is this a way that people talked that they would just use metaphors as responses to being questioned or overhearing things with their superhero? I will abilities? say, I do think they understand this better than we understand it because, again, we don't really work with wineskins. Right. We don't, we're not really Speak for yourself. We're not sewing yeah. things up. <laughs> yeah, we go buy new clothes. We throw them right. away and we get new clothes. But right. clothes are really expensive in that culture. Mm-hmm. And so they're obviously doing some of this type of stuff. Jesus, he mixes two metaphors. It's a really good observation. Mm-hmm. So he talks about a wedding. Jesus mm-hmm. is almost presenting himself as this bridegroom, this great wedding. And then he also uses this metaphor that talks about garments, but also wineskins. And one of the ways that the prophets talked about the age to come, this future age, symbols they would often use were weddings and wine. An abundance of wine is what characterizes this time period. And Jesus is in effect saying that this is a new age. This is the fulfillment of what the prophets had been talking about. This is an age where it's not time to fast, because that's really the concern. They're saying, why aren't your people Mm. fasting? Mm -hmm. They're actually feasting. And they're feasting because the bridegroom has come, the wedding has begun. This is a time to celebrate. Not for the Pharisees. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> seem like they totally pick up on that. Well, hopefully that they would, but happening yeah. around them. they miss out on a lot. Well, and kind of the theme of it is that, right? They're missing out on kind of the point, which is this idea that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that's really what it comes down to for today's reading. You have the title of today's reading as a controversial call to sinners. Do you want to explain that just a little bit? I think this last line is really provocative that we see in this story. So on hearing this, Jesus said to them, which again, is that supernatural hearing. The Pharisees aren't even talking to Jesus. They're talking to his disciples, right? Mm -hmm. They ask a question of his disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm -hmm. And when you really break that down and think about it a little bit, who is he calling? Everyone. I mean, yes. I think I mean, because no that's, one is righteous, right? Okay. Not even well, one. <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. So he's calling everyone. Specifically, though, he's calling sinners. Uh-huh. We're all sinners, so he's right. calling everyone. Right. The problem is the people he's talking to they think don't they're think righteous. that they're They think they're righteous. Yeah, okay. And so when you think you're righteous, you miss out on the call. Hmm. You need to know that you're a sinner in order to... You might say receive the right. call, but yeah. this doesn't happen anymore. So that's Yeah, good. I'm so thankful it doesn't. <laughs> it's nice to be righteous over here. It's a cozy place. It's a comfortable position. Mm-hmm. Right, which is the goal. I'm trying to build comfort and security. That life. is actually so profound to me. Like just that we're looking at scripture and you're breaking this down. Like I've never thought of it that way. It's not a way I had typically thought about or heard mm-hmm. it, but as I was meditating on this passage and just working through it and reading different takes, and not everybody reads it this way, right. but I do think that's a bit of what Jesus is trying to get at. Mm-hmm. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In some ways, on the surface, it sounds like he's saying, you guys are good. I need to take care of people like 
right. Levi, tax collectors, right. sinners. But the truth is the Pharisees are sinners in their own right, yeah. and they need to receive this call. And so the question is, is your heart in a position where you could hear mm-hmm. that call yourself? Yeah. What a, do you value that call over the rules and establishment that mm. you've set up, right? That's good. And that shows, you know, these last two sections we kind of read for today, it shows that not only is like the Sabbath exists for humans, but mm. Jesus was made to transcend it. Like he is the Lord mm-hmm. of the Sabbath, a, yeah. not the other way around. The Sabbath isn't the yep. Lord of Jesus <laughs> yeah. being human or something. The Sabbath is not Weird. made yeah. for man, but, but man. But they had Wait. a big yeah. problem with this, right? Well, and you see in the last section too, and this is my real question for today is because Jesus starts to get a little bit angry mm-hmm. or indignant or He gets whatnot. upset. Yeah. And he makes it even more black and white. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill it. Hmm. Makes it really kind of apparent that the rules that they're talking about kind of need to be ignored for the sake of reaching people Mm -hmm. and talking to people Mm -hmm. and caring for people. And that's what Jesus does as a whole. He comes to redefine all of that stuff. Redefine, point people back to the original purpose. Mm -hmm. I think I said this wrong earlier. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's in control of the Sabbath. God gave it to us as a chance to rest to be refreshed, to be people, and to remember that he's in control, we aren't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at some of the Jewish traditions dating back to around Jesus's time, there are a lot of rules built up around it that made it really difficult actually to observe. So all of a sudden the Sabbath wasn't doing the thing it was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. It became a burden. And it's interesting the words he actually uses here, which is lawful to do good or to do evil. That word to do, I think is really important because oftentimes we think of the Sabbath as a time where you don't Don't. do Mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. And that's not really the point of the Sabbath. Mm. It's almost by doing nothing in this case, when people are suffering, you are doing evil just by ignoring what needs to be done. Yeah. If you go back and you read some of the Jewish leaders around this time and later on, they have a lot of debates about what type of healing, medical treatment can you give? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, that's like so far away from the point of what the Sabbath was all about. Mm -hmm. You know, why are we talking about whether you can heal someone or not? You've got two ways that you could read this. You could Mm -hmm. read this as this is your first time reading this. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, if this is your millionth time reading this and, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time. This is not the first time you've read Mark. But from the first time perspective, for me, this is like pretty great Mm -hmm. because this isn't the rules and regulation type of religion that I've heard. Mm -hmm. It is like Christianity has a good bit of baggage with it, right? You have like this weightiness to it. But what should we take away if this is our first time reading this passage? The thing that I think Mark's really getting at, this is what I would actually want to point people to. I mean, because we're having a lot of conversations about a lot of topics I think Mark does want us to raise. Right. But the main thing Mark's trying to get at is, who is this man? Mm -hmm. And what you notice in a lot of these stories is that people are asking questions about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, they're questions that they're not coming from a place of genuine seeking, but they're asking this question, who can forgive sins but Mm. God, you know? Mm -hmm. And Jesus' point is, well... What does that say about me? Right. And so Mark is prompting us to begin to think about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. What is he trying to do? What's he trying to accomplish? And what's going to get us towards is if we really want to follow him, if we want to be like the fishers, if we want to be like Levi, mm-hmm. well, what's it going to look like to follow this man? Mm. Well, and for people who have read this a lot, it comes back to identifying with the Pharisees' perspective. Like there are rules mm-hmm. and there are some limitations to yeah. life that have been, you know, a lot of people think about when they hear the word Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they think about is the rules and regulations. But as Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And it's like that phrase that Christians used to like to use a lot. 
in it, not of it, right? You got to live oh, yeah. in the world, in the world. But not oh, of it. Yeah. In it, not of it. They just throw that around. Yeah. Well, and I think there's this idea that <laughs> growing up, I was like, ooh, I'm a Christian, so I'm not the sick, you know? So I guess like God came for all these other people, so I should go help them, right. you know? And there was such a righteousness to that idea. That's why I think I'm so like hung up on this idea that, you know, mm. Jesus came not for the righteous and those who are struggling like to even believe who he is, you know? And honestly, deep down, like these Pharisees were truly struggling to believe who he was saying who he was, but they weren't really willing to admit maybe their faults or that they were sinners as well. And mm-hmm. so I think that makes me think about it in a way of like, am I willing to realize that I am the worst of the worst sinners, that I am in need of a savior yeah. in a way that everyone is. No matter like how much you know or Yeah. What, and it puts us all on the way. same playing field. Yeah. These Pharisees, they believe so black and white about their rules that the rules prevent them from doing what Jesus has asked them mm-hmm. to do. And that, I mean, that's us today. A lot of people do this because they don't want to surround themselves with non-Christians or people mm-hmm. who are just normal people, let's mm-hmm. be real, because they're afraid you know, that they've been called not to, to right. set themselves apart or something. Yeah. You know, it's a joke phrase in it, not of it. And it probably could be a hashtag or the title of a blog. How do we live in the world and be around people like Jesus has set his example for and do it in a way that is productive and helpful. Well, I think like just asking God to give us eyes to see people the way that he sees them and not the way that I think we would have a snap judgment or have an idea of why someone believes what they believe or that they act the way that they do or whatever. And that we come at it as we are all on this planet together. And like, why not just learn where people come from and listen to their stories and love them right where they are? Because someone is doing that for me too. You know, it makes me no different than them. The way I like to think about this, typically, especially when you say that phrase in it, Mm -hmm. but not of it, it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm of heaven, right? I'm not of this world. Right. And some of that's drawn from some things you read in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But I also want to make sure we understand that the emphasis, especially in the book of Mark, is that heaven isn't some other place we go to. Mm. What Jesus is doing is he's actually bringing heaven to earth. He's proclaiming the the establishment of the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. on earth. You read in the Lord's Prayer. And God's whole plan for this place, as I read it, is this is Mm going to be our eternal home. And it begins with Jesus inaugurating the kingdom here. He's proclaiming the good news. The kingdom of God is near. And if you think about it that way, then we are just carrying on what Jesus has begun, this process Mm of proclaiming and advancing the kingdom of God on earth. If he's the king, if Mm -hmm. he's the Messiah, then we follow him on that journey and we live as he did. And I mean, we have to be careful. And and I don't want to come down too hard on the Pharisees because I do think there's a place for rules and regulations at time. It's just how you enforce them and how you Mm -hmm. think about them. Mm -hmm. You know, we inevitably have to do this in our own lives. There's a place for these things. You have to understand the purposes. And again, I think, Our whole purpose is to be God's kingdom workers. That's why he saved us, Mm -hmm. to help establish the kingdom of God on earth. Now that we've been free, we can help liberate other people from bondage. Yeah. Wonder if Jesus is the perfect example of heaven coming down on earth and God's ultimate plan being revealed. There's two ways of seeing it. One, we have to stay tuned because the rest of the book of Mark will kind of show us even more of what that kingdom looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it. But there's also, if you're feeling resistance to even this idea of Jesus is for everyone, mm-hmm. even the people who don't necessarily believe exactly what I do, even within Christianity or outside of it, right. Jesus cares about all of them. Mm-hmm. And if he is ultimately saving everybody, all those people matter. And if you're feeling resistance internally to that, there's something that you need to learn through this study. And Mark will speak directly to that. But you'll have to stay tuned to find out what that is. 
Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.